Thank you, Brother Doug. I appreciate it. I just love that song, and I think it's absolutely fascinating that a song that is talking about something being stationary is so lively. <laughs> I guess that shows we can be stationary and lively at the same time, doesn't it? Well, good morning, church. Good morning, Tom. In Bible study, we're currently looking at the book of James chapter 2, as most of you know, and uh, Brother Dale is doing a wonderful job on this tough topic. I thought it might be worthwhile to bring it to our attention again, and I wish everybody could attend that Bible study, the one with Dale, not with me. And for our text this morning, I will be using James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And I'm using the New King James Version for most of the quotes. So let's look at those verses together and read them. That's chapter 2 of James, verses 1 through 13. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Other translations use the word favoritism or respect of persons instead of partiality. Now, I found in talking with folks about James that this phrase, respect of persons, has been a bit confusing for them. You see, when we look at the word respect, we think, well, that's a positive thing, isn't it? I mean, we respect others. And indeed, that is true. But the respect of persons in the original language is a compound word meaning partiality or favoritism. Literally, the word means receiving of face. In the Old Testament, the phrase is also used as a warning in places like Proverbs 24, 33, which says it is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. 
Two words in Hebrew that are used here, poor respect of persons, literally mean to regard a face. Back to our text. In these verses of James, the brother of the Lord, he confronted a problem that's been around for a long time, and that is having respect of persons. We might also refer to it as unfair judging. This is not only an old subject, but it deserves attention today. That being the case, perhaps this is a good time for us to be reminded of these instructions from Scripture. Now, you don't hear that expression, respect of persons, very much anymore. But you do hear a lot about prejudice, classism, ageism, clickism, racism, and a lot of similar subjects. We need to know what the Bible teaches. The Lord wants us to follow his instructions, and we will be judged by his word in that last day. James was written in the first century, and he was not the first person to deal with that topic. Jesus dealt with unfair judging in Matthew 7. God warned against favoritism back in the time of Moses. As God's people, we are not immune to unfair judging. Now, James is writing to Christians, people who have become followers of Christ. And we learn from James chapter 2, verse 1, that having respect of persons is forbidden in Christianity. He says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. James very plainly says, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord. In other words, don't be guilty of favoritism. That clearly shows that having respect of persons is forbidden in Christianity. We need to point out that God is no respecter of persons, and this is shown a number of times in Scripture. For example, in Acts 10 and 34, you're all familiar with this, Peter had gone to the home of Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Peter concluded from his experience that God is no respecter of persons. Now look at Romans chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For there is no partiality with God. Paul makes it crystal clear in this statement that God is impartial. In Ephesians 6 and 9, Paul has been addressing the reciprocal relationship between slaves and masters. And he concludes, and you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. The point is to be like God, his children must not show partiality. Back in James chapter two now at verse nine, it says, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Well, James certainly doesn't beat around the bush, does he? Not only does he show us in verse one that having respect of persons is forbidden in Christianity, he went on to say in verse nine that those who are guilty of this transgress the will of God and the transgression of God's law is sin. 
Looking now at James 2, verses 2 through 4, here James illustrates what he is talking about. There are a lot of similarities between the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of James. They both make things very clear and easily understandable in the way they give them to us. And to make matters even clearer, they use some very powerful illustrations, examples. The situation that is presented here has to do with an assembly of Christians being gathered together and two men enter that assembly. One is obviously a rich man. He is wearing gold ring and he's wearing some fine clothes. The other is a poor man and he's wearing vile raiment. The people in the assembly who treat these two men differently are guilty of having respect of persons. Those who practice partiality will give the rich man what we would call the best seat in the house, the most honored seat. Is he treated that way because he is such a good man? No. He is being given that preferential treatment because he is rich. We are not told anyone knows anything about his character. All they know is from his appearance and that he is wealthy and that he can afford nice things and so he gets the best seat in the house. What about the other man? Those who have respect of persons, that is, practice partiality, will tell the poor man to stand over there in a corner somewhere or sit in a very lowly place. Is he treated that way because he is a bad man? No. He is being treated that way just because he is poor. That kind of treatment toward these two men demonstrates prejudice. It demonstrates unfair judging, and those who are guilty of such partiality are described as being judges with evil thoughts. Rather than judge in that manner, Christians must follow the instructions that Jesus gave in John chapter 7, verse 24. He says, do not judge according to appearance. Pretty clear, isn't it? But judge with righteous judgment. Some people have the idea, the mistaken idea, that all judging is forbidden. Now, that is not the case. There are certain types of judging that are forbidden, but the Bible actually teaches us we are to make certain judgments. When judgments are made, they are not to be made based on appearance. The Bible has told us to judge by what is right according to the standard of God's word. Yet we are not to condemn and we are not to be judgmental. Rather, we should make evaluations. James goes on to show us in verse 5 that having respect of persons makes no sense. Look at verse 5 in the first part of verse 6. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Consider the way that God has treated the poor. Jesus said, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, Luke 6 and 20. He has blessed the poor spiritually. Does that mean that poor people are good as a whole? No, that's just the way it is. Looking down on poor people just because they are poor makes no sense. Then James asks us to consider how rich men have treated Christians. 
starting in six, the middle of the paragraph or sentence. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? Well, you can find an example of that in Acts 13 at verse 50, where it says, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Here the honorable people were stirred up against the apostles. Rich men have gone as far as to blaspheme the name of Christ. This by no means indicates that rich people are bad. We know better than that. In the Bible, we read about several wealthy men who were faithful followers of our Lord. As a general rule, the rich are more antagonistic toward Christians than the poor, just the way it is. Showing preferential treatment to rich people just because they are rich makes no sense. When we think about the reasoning that James is putting forth, we see that respecters of persons, those practicing partiality, demonstrate a lack of spiritual discernment. We'll next look at verses 8 through 13. And here James points out that having partiality violates the royal law. What is the royal law? It is identified in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. In Matthew 22 at verse 36, Jesus identified that as a second great commandment. Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he goes on and he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's look at Romans 13, verse 8 for a minute. In these verses, Romans 13 and 8, the Apostle Paul refers to the same law, and he shows that it is a comprehensive commandment. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not cover. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The royal law sums up our responsibilities toward our fellow man. Jesus identified the royal law when he gave what we call the golden rule, to treat others the way we want to be treated. Why is it called the royal law? Because it is the law of the kingdom and it is given by the king. Having respect of persons is a violation of the royal law. Verse 12 says, so speak and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 12 teaches us to speak and act according to the law of liberty, 
because we will be judged by that law. And what does that law of liberty teach us? It teaches us to avoid having partiality. And then in verse 13, still speaking of the judgment in verse 12, it begins with a warning. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Then in the last part, mercy triumphs over judgment. The law of liberty emphasizes mercy over judgment. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. James teaches us that those who show no mercy will receive no mercy. Well, God does not do it. God's word teaches against it. The church is warned of the consequences of it. And yet, it, almost every congregation, you'll find it happening. The evil of which we speak is being a respecter of persons. It is an old problem, this evil of partiality. It is against the nature of God to be a respecter of persons. He is the creator of all mankind. Therefore, he treats all in the same manner. There is no bias in him. He does not favor one over the other. He does not treat human beings with partiality. This is true in the matter of salvation. Every human has the ability to be forgiven of their sins. All have access to the blood of Jesus, whereby they can be cleansed of iniquity. The Jews of the first century had a difficult time with this concept. When God selected them to be his chosen people, they thought God's favor rested solely upon them. They were his favorites. All others were heathens and dogs. When the gospel began to be preached, it was clear this concept was false, but the Jews still held to it. And even the apostles struggled with it. It took a vision from the Lord and the baptism of the Holy Spirit to convince Peter that Gentiles could become God's children. God is no respecter of persons when it comes to his judgment. He will judge all fairly. He does not have one standard of judgment for one person and another standard for someone else. He will not overlook one person's sins and hold another accountable for committing the same sins. Paul wrote in Romans 2, verse 6, that God will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. And then in verse 11, where there is no partiality with God. Well, Christians are to be Christ-like, aren't we? It's sinful for us to play favoritism. It is a transgression of God's will to treat individuals with partiality. We as Christians are not to play that game. In James chapter 2, verse 9, it states, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In James 2 and 4, he describes those who respect persons as being partial and as being judges with evil thoughts. 
In James 2, verses 8 and 9, he indicates that this behavior runs in direct opposition to the law of love. Why do people still struggle with it? There are many excuses that one could try to use to justify being a respecter of persons. Some might say, well, isn't it just human nature? By this, they mean that all of us have those that we are closer to than others. We have those we associate with more than others. However, we must not mistake closeness for partiality. Jesus was closer to Peter, James, and John than the other apostles, but his closeness did not keep him from being impartial. When Peter sinned, he was confronted just as Judas was. Another excuse is that being impartial is hard to practice. Well, it is. There are situations in which we are called to follow the command that may be very difficult for us. It usually involves sin in the life of one we are partial towards. It could involve discipline of a loved one. Just because something is hard, though, does not mean it should not be done. It was probably hard for Abraham to offer Isaac, wasn't it? But faith pushed him through the difficulty. In 2 Peter chapter 2, at verse 3, Paul tells Timothy, therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. And then there are the pressures from the outside. We sometimes fail in this area because we know that others will get angry when we're impartial. If we treat a family member like we would treat someone outside the family, the family member might get upset. If we treat the rich like we treat the poor, the rich might become disgruntled. There is no doubt that the practice of the command to have no respect of persons will rub some people the wrong way. The question, however, is not whether we please others, but whether we please God. Paul put it very well in Galatians 1 and 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. We allow this potential of upsetting others to allow the world to influence us. And James gives us an example of a particular kind of discrimination, which we might call classism. The principle of respect of a person goes beyond this particular type of partiality, though. Showing respect of persons means we treat someone unequally with another who deserves equal treatment. The basic idea behind respect of persons is a judgment based on false standards. Let me ask you a few questions as examples. Do we turn up our noses at one who smells less than fragrant? Do we look away from those whose manner of dress is not as nice as ours? Do we heartily shake the hands that are clean, but neglect the hands that are dirty? Or do we look down on the employee, but give favor to the boss? As I said before, it's an old problem, and it's been around since at least the day of Moses. Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus 19, verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, 
nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. Another way society will influence us to show partiality, and we often see this today, is something called ageism, our behavior toward the elderly. And this too has been with us since ancient times. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God, I am the Lord. And God takes this respect for the elderly seriously. In 2 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 23, it tells of something that happened to Elisha as an old man. He went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. This last instance teaches us that not only will God judge us based upon our respect for the elderly, but whether we mock or deride a condition which the elderly cannot control. In the New Testament, this issue is discussed by both Paul and Peter. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. What about us today? Do we prefer the company of the young over the old? What are we teaching our youth when we put them on a pedestal while we neglect our elderly? What we teach our youth today, today regarding the elderly in both our actions and our attitudes, they will practice upon us tomorrow. I'll mention one more way we're influenced in our actions and attitudes, and that is something that I would call clickism. This is the temptation to simply associate only with those of whom we are most comfortable. Clickism is the idea that I have my own little group with whom I associate and politely ignore everyone outside of that group. It is also the idea of accepting into one's fellowship only certain people, and we end up showing favoritism among those who are saved. In Philippians chapter 2 at verse 1, Paul tells us, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Yes, not being a respecter of persons, not being one who shows favoritism, can be difficult at times. And there is much to influence us to the contrary. As Brother Dale pointed out, the Bible has a lot to say about being a respecter of persons or showing partiality to one over another for some particular reason. We are warned that if we show partiality, we commit sin. In all that scripture tells us, we can conclude that God does not want the law to be applied differently to different people because of the position they hold in society, the amount of wealth that they have, or what they may think of themselves. God has set a standard of right and wrong for all. He will judge all by the same standard. God's plan of salvation is the same for all. And those who desire to be saved can be saved exactly by that same plan. It has been suggested by some that since God is no respecter of persons, how can he work in the life of an individual Christian? How can God favor his children with his grace, the answering of prayers, providing for help in life, healing of sickness and other personal matters? Those things have nothing to do with God's standard of righteousness or salvation. For example, take a county judge. In his job as judge, he is expected to apply the law equally to everyone. This means that both the wealthy and the poor should be treated equally by him in court. However, when he goes home to his family, he may bring his children gifts. Does the fact that he is a county judge mean that he has to give gifts to all the children in the county? Of course not. It is only in his application of the law as judge that he must be impartial. In his home, he may bless his own children without concern for being impartial. When the Bible says that God does not have respect of persons, it does not mean that God must bless everyone exactly the same. If that were the case, there would be no men or women, children or adults, wealthy or poor, intelligent or non-intelligent, strong or weak, and so forth. God does bless different people with different gifts, as his grace is extended to each. This is not the same thing as God showing respect of persons relative to salvation. God may bless whom he chooses to bless in whatever way he chooses to bless them, and he continues to be impartial regarding salvation and judgment. We learn from the New Testament how to be saved. We need to hear the word, believe in Jesus, repent of our sins, and confess our belief that Jesus is the Son of God, and then be baptized for the remission of sins. If we follow these steps, the Lord adds us to his church. Perhaps there is someone in the assembly today with the need to be buried with Christ in baptism. If you've never done these things, we urge you to do them today. If anyone has this need or desires the prayers of faithful Christians on their behalf, we encourage them to come forward while Doug leads us in our invitation song.